If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. We'll be looking at the life of Caleb tonight. Thankful for the opportunity and the, the privilege to be able to preach tonight. And you please continue to pray for pastors. He is away and he and Ms. Ingram sharpening and getting what they need from God to come back and give us what we need through preaching, through leadership. Uh, just a, as you're turning there, uh, something I read as I was preparing for this, uh, just a statement that really arrested my attention. The will of God is the expression of the love of God and is always the best for us. The will of God is the expression of the love of God and is always the best for us. I think what burdened my heart about preaching on, on the life of Caleb, and there's a, there's, much, there's a lot out there on Caleb because he's one of two men that were able to enter the promised land because they kept their hearts. Um, they cultivated a relationship with God. And I think it what really burdened me was just um, part of it's my, my, own, my own walk with the Lord, how he is putting his finger on certain aspects of my life and my journey and just um, gently and kindly showing me where uh, I'm not the Christian ought to be, not the man ought to be, the husband, the father. And then just my interaction with, with other men, um, not judging them or anything, just saying they're sharpening on me, uh, helping me as a man and as a leader, as a husband and father. And then most recently with the marriage refresher that pastor is encouraging all of us to sign up for and just thinking about the length of time many people have been married. We've got newlyweds or relatively new newlyweds in our church and um, just thinking of my own marriage and realizing that oftentimes in life, and this would be for someone who's married or not married, oftentimes in life we get in a, a, a direction or a flow of life and we sometimes don't even realize it, but we're stuck. Anybody ever been stuck or you feel like you're stuck? And no one, if, if they realize that, you don't want to get stuck. I remember growing up in the woods of Louisiana and I had friends who had four-wheel drive trucks. And they liked to go mudding. <laughs> mudding. Now, if you don't know what mudding is, that means you've never been and, and it's something you ought to go try. But... Uh, I don't know what it was, but you hadn't, you hadn't had a good mudding experience unless somebody got stuck. I mean, if you didn't get stuck, it, you didn't have much to, to tell. You just went mudding and you got dirty. But if you got stuck, man, you could tell them the story about how it took three trucks and your neighbor's horse and, or your winch broke and you had to call your cousin three times removed to come out with his truck bigger than yours. And I always thought it was funny when um, trucks would be jacked up, but the differential was off the ground only about this far. I never could understand those guys going mudding because they always got stuck. But in that reference, getting stuck was probably fun, okay, and just to tell a story. But to be honest with you, none of us want to be stuck. I don't know that I'll say much more about being stuck in life as we look at the life of Caleb, but when we look at some attributes in his life and and how God used him, 
I, wanna, I want us to leave tonight with, with knowing that, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this with the assumption that many of us know the life and the account of Caleb, but that the inheritance that he received from God, the geographical land, the place on the map that became his because he believed God, in a sense, the Christian today has an inheritance that God is wanting you to have. And if, if we aren't careful as we um, go through life and as we have a family or raise kids or you know, whatever, whatever and it doesn't have to be marriage and children per se, but as we are pursuing the life God has for us, if we aren't careful, we could get stuck. And then when God's trying to move us forward, when God's trying to put us out in, into the land of promise, we could find ourselves saying, I don't know, I, I, that's a great risk you're wanting me to take. I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And we're missing out on the so much more life. And so that's kind of the, I guess, framework or where the burden for this message came from. And that, that statement, the will of God is the expression of the love of God and is always the best for us. Uh, whatever God's will is for your life and for mine, it's got his stamp of approval on it. And he, he wants you to go there. The, his will for you is the best. If you found Joshua 14, uh, if you would, we're going to start with verse 6. Let's stand, read a few verses, and then I'll have you be seated and we'll get into the message on Caleb uh, tonight. Joshua chapter 14 and verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb, the son of, I always want to say Jephunneh, but it sounds funny, but I think the proper pronunciation is Jephunneh. The Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, Keniz the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Lord God, thank you for uh, this man that you have in Scripture. Uh, Lord, there's not as much about him as others, but what you do say about Caleb, Lord, is so impactful. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight we would glean from his life. And Lord, whether we're eight or 85, Lord, that you would help us realize the so much more that you desire for everyone here tonight. 
Would you please use the truth to impact our lives and challenge us, I pray. Amen. Thank you. And please be seated. So the, the context of this briefly, just to give you a, a quick overview, I think most would know is the Israelites are there and this is their, their, they're looking forward to that, that land of milk and honey. And Moses is, uh, well, they're, they're free from Egypt now and God's working in their lives. And so they come to the, the place where God tells Moses, send, send out some men to do a reconnaissance mission. And once you go into the land and they do that, he sends out 12 representatives and they search the land and they see how um, beautiful it is and how, uh, how flourishing it is. In fact, they come back and they say, uh, we came into the land whether thou sent us, then surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. And they brought back evidence of how great the land was. But then there's this word they use, nevertheless. But the people in the land are so big and their walls are so tall. In fact, they even tell, tell, tell the other people that the land will devour us. And in the scripture I read... Uh, Caleb is reminding uh, Joshua that that report, that evil report, caused the hearts of the people to melt. And what that really means is their courage vanished. It's like their courage vaporized away because men were looking only at the physical realm. They weren't counting God into the equation. And then if you were to read through Numbers um, 13 and 14, it gets really bad. I mean, the people of Israel are ready to choose another leader and go back to Egypt. And God says, Moses, I'm going to wipe out every Israelite and I'm going to start with a new nation through you. And Moses entreats the Lord and prays and says, Lord, if you do that, the Egyptians are going to hear that. And, and you know what they're going to say? You couldn't deliver your own people. Now, God is sovereign, but that conversation that God and Moses have is amazing. And God doesn't wipe out the people, but for 40 years, they wander. And, and pastors preach much on the wilderness wanderings. But it's interesting that Caleb and Joshua, the Lord specifically says, those two will not die. They will go to the promised land. And they do. So that's the overview. So we want to look at Caleb, this, this uh, son of Jephunneh, this man who at 85 years old is ready to take down some of the greatest people in the land that he has been promised. And he's not winking at it. He's not shy about it. In fact, he is, when you read, he is just, he is, if I could say it, chomping at the bit to get to the land that he got to walk. God said, wherever you've trodden, I'm going to give you that land. And he's thought about it for 40 years. He's planned. He's got the garden, got the house, got the, uh, you know, the three-bedroom, two-bath ranch-style home or the hacienda or whatever it is he's thinking. He, he knows. He spent time on the land and he, he believed God. So the first attribute or the first uh, key point here, number one, 
about Caleb? Simply, Caleb was a faithful hearer. He knew what God had said. He understood what God said. And he exhorted others around him to listen to what God said. Many of them didn't. In fact, most of them didn't. But we must be reminded about the power that's in God's words. If you remember in the New Testament, when Jesus was tempted of Satan, he used the very words of Scripture to defeat the tempter when he came. Jesus said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus also told him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus once again said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And Satan departed from Jesus. The words of God are, are powerful. Caleb knew this. I don't know what written record of God's word that Caleb had. It may have just been that Caleb just listened intently to his leadership. He, he listened intently to God. But the power in the promise that he received, he never forgot. He never let that, um, let that conversation that he and God had go by the wayside. You know, God's words keep us from sin. Uh, we need to be reminded, uh, Psalm 119 promises that, that, that we hide God's word in our heart, that we might not sin against him. God's word also is a light for our journey, that we would hide his words in our heart, that, that uh, not only will we not sin, but that it would light our path, keep us moving forward. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. If we could kind of sum up, maybe this faithful here was this, is that Caleb knew that the quality of his life would be determined by the quality of his heart. The quality of his life would be determined by the quality of his heart. And the quality of his heart would be determined by God's word. Amen. He needed God's word. He had God's word in his heart. And we say heart, and really what we mean is in our, in our mind, in our thinking, in our processes, our mental capacity. We're talking about that. Of course, we sense the moving and the impact in our emotional area of our life. But in, in his mind, he guarded his heart from any evil influence. He was a faithful hearer. Not only was he a faithful hearer, but Caleb was a faithful follower. If you look in verse 6 of the scripture we read, um, sorry, not that scripture. Um, I think it's over here in, is it Numbers? No, it wasn't that one either. Sorry, I, I got a verse down here. Um, and I got it marked wrong, but, but it says, uh, Caleb wholly followed the Lord. It's verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 8. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. There it is. A faithful follower. Long before Caleb was ready to conquer a mountain, he conquered the greatest mountain, self. He could follow. Uh, he took orders to spy out the land. Not only that, just think of the 40 years he's with the, the nation of Israel and Caleb didn't do anything wrong. He spied the land. He brought back a good report. God said he brought back a good report. God said that you will go into the promised land. And if I could say it this way, he got stuck with all the complainers for 40 years. And never lost his excitement. He, he knew how to follow he followed the leader in his life. That man was Moses. Most believers will spend much, 
if not all of their lives and ministries in a position or a place where being able and willing to follow is of the utmost importance. Most believers will spend much, if not all of their lives and ministries in a position where being able and willing to follow is of the utmost importance. Pastors told the staff over and over again, he's preached it, good leaders are good followers first. Everyone, everyone wants to be a leader. I read a lot of military books and uh, there are exploits that just amaze me of what a man or a lady can do in, in difficult situations, under duress, life's at stake, and many of them are in leadership positions. But most of them became good followers before they became good leaders. It's the same in our walk with the Lord. I got a good illustration here of a football player. Y'all would know him, at least the old timers would. Roger Staubach played 11 seasons with the Dallas Cowboys. He was named, his nickname, he had three of them. Roger the Dodger because he was quick and agile, scrambling out of the pocket. He was known as Captain America because he led America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. I don't agree with that motto, but that's what they're called. <laughs> My wife's a Cowboys fan. Um, he was known as Captain Comeback because he would make heroic fourth quarter comebacks and win. He attended the Naval Academy, won the 1963 Heisman Trophy, served in the U.S. Navy, um, included a tour of duty in Vietnam. He joined the Dallas Cowboys in 1969 and played for 11 seasons. Uh, he led the team to Super Bowl five times, four as their starting quarterback, uh, he was victorious to lead the team in a win in Super Bowl VI and Super Bowl XII. He was named the most valuable player in Super Bowl VI and became the first of four players to win both the Heisman and the Super Bowl MVP with names like Jim Plunkett, Marcus Allen, and Desmond Howard. And he was named to the Pro Bowl six times in his 11-year career. He's regarded as one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Interesting note about quarterback Roger Staubach who led the Cowboys to a winning championship. He admitted his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own signals was a source of trial for him. Coach Landry sent in every play. He told Roger, he, said, he told him when to pass. He told him when to run. He said, if you ever change a play, it must only be in an emergency situation and you had better be right. Roger Staubach considered his coach a genius in football strategy, but his pride told him, I ought to be able to run my own team. Roger Staubach said later, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Wow. If a pro player can figure it out, that's a good example to follow. So Caleb was a faithful follower. He was also a faithful leader, number three, a faithful leader. In Numbers 13.30, he's trying to communicate to the people. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb had believed God that, he could give, that God could give them the victory in the land. He took God at his word and encouraged others to do the same. He was a godly leader who was exhorting others around him to follow God. To include a quote from 
William Carey, known as the father of modern missions, this great leader, Caleb, was attempting great things for God while expecting great things from God. A faithful leader. Caleb also had a faithful attitude. In Numbers 14, 24, the Bible says, But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath wholly followed me, I want to turn there, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. He had another spirit with him in him. Caleb had a different aroma about him the day that Israel was complaining about going into this new land and believing the evil report that the ten spies had brought. The Bible is clear about Caleb's attitude that it was unlike the rest of Israel. If you, if you uh, survey Israel, what do we know about their attitude? Murmuring, complaining, discontent. They died because of murmuring and complaining and being discontent. But Caleb, he trusted God to fulfill his word and give them the land he promised. He said, we are well able to take this land. Curtis Hudson was quoted as saying, your attitude, not your aptitude, determines altitude. That is so true. I've seen this more in, in music, uh, being around the, the many people who, who can sing and can play an instrument. And I remember learning this from Pastor Kraft years ago, and I had the opportunity to serve under him. And he would always tell a story about a song leader he had. He had two men in his church that could lead the song, could lead singing very well. One of them was very, uh, I guess, talented would be, or gifted. He could read music well, and he could, he could lead people. He could lead specials. He could lead people well as far as keeping them in time and in rhythm. But he always wanted to do his own thing. And he had another song leader who was a very dear man, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't lead very well, but just loved God, wanted to serve in any way. And he said, I always would always call on the man who couldn't lead music very well, but because he had a love of God in his heart, he excelled far above the other guy. And that's something for our, our young people and even adults is that you can be very skilled. But if your attitude is in the tank, you're limiting yourself. No one really wants to serve anyone else with a bad attitude. That determines how far you go. Humility says a lot about our, in, in our attitude. Number five. Not only was Caleb uh, had a good attitude, he was a very obedient man. I just think about the age of Caleb. Obviously, when the report, when they went to spy out the land, he's in his 40s. And then later on, he's 85. But the, the way that Caleb would obey with immediate action right away. I thought about this. And, you know, there's many of us who are teaching our own children, uh, teaching children in Sunday school, teaching children in nursery, teaching children in school. And I know probably one of the greatest truths we're trying to teach them is 
Obey God. Obey God right away. Don't, don't, uh, don't drag your feet when it comes to obeying God. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And may I just issue a warning to all of us. Dear friend, mom, dad, grandparent, teacher, let's not be full of hypocrisy when we're trying to teach our young people to follow God, but we drag our feet when he put, puts his finger on something in our life or we read a command and, and we don't do it. Uh, more is caught than taught. And that's for all of us. Uh, God's, God's blessing won't be on our ministry, our life, if we're dragging our feet, if we ho-hum and we won't roll our eyes outwardly, but on the inside, we might be stiff-arming the Holy Spirit every turn. And you're wanting, I'm wanting my children, you're wanting your children to follow God. Well, they're going to watch your attitude, your actions when God is dealing with you about issues. So let's, let's be like Caleb. The Bible says he hath Followed me fully. Six times. If you were to look at Caleb, six times the Bible will say something like this. He wholly followed the Lord. He hath wholly followed me. Uh, he hath followed me fully. Obedience in our lives is necessary. We obey the rules at work if we want to keep our job. Of course, with the work situation now, I think if you could fog a mirror in some places, they'd probably hire you. Um, but it ought to be that way that if you want to keep your job, you got rules to obey. We got many law enforcement in our midst and, uh, they want people to obey the, the speed limit. Uh, maybe they get a joy out of writing a ticket, but I don't think so. More or less, they have loved ones on the road that they want to come home every night. And so they want people to obey the, the, the highway rules because you want to, you want to get home in one piece, you and your car and, so that's why we obey the rules. So to what degree are we like Caleb? To what degree are we obedient? The Bible, again, says of Caleb, he wholly followed the Lord. He hath wholly followed me. Caleb was totally obedient. One of our greatest challenges as believers is to obey completely and immediately. God bless those who are used of him. Or God blesses those that are used of him. Many in the Bible obeyed God right away. God blessed them and God used them. If we want to have God's blessing on our lives, if you and I want to be used of God, we must be obedient right away. It's the truth for the three-year-old, for the 30-year-old, and for the 300-year-old. Number six, Caleb was faithful to remember God's promises. We easily, too easily forget God's promises. And we forget that He doesn't forget His promises. He wants us to claim the promises for ourselves and for His glory. You know, God wanted to give Caleb that land so that God, God knew and trusted Caleb that if Caleb would, would trust Him and lead out and take the land, God would get the glory. Why else would... Uh, why else would he give him the land and give him such a difficult enemy to conquer? Because God had to be a part of the equation. There was no way that the Anakims were going to be defeated in and of an 85-year-old man operating in his flesh. I mean, just think about it. And I'm not trying to be uh, um, uh, rude towards Caleb, but it could be that maybe in his mind he thought he was that strong. 
Whatever the case, he believed God would give him the strength to swing the sword, pull back the bow and arrow. He was going to defeat the enemies on his land. He, it, it, I, I read that and I think, Caleb, as far as you're concerned, it's a done deal. All you got to do is march out onto the battlefield and do what you need to do. And God's going to deliver the entire enemy army into your hands. It's exactly what happened. He took, he was, he just remembered God's promises. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Why does God want us to claim the promises, to know his word, so that he can get the glory? That's, that's your ultimate mission, that's mine in life, is to give God the glory that's due unto his name. Amen. He clearly teaches God's promises. The answer is yes. It's amen. It's confirmed. God promised Caleb land. Caleb even reminds Joshua of that in chapter, in, uh, chapter 14, verse 12. Whereof the Lord spake in that day. Remember? Remember what God said, Joshua? Remember what he said? He said, we will have this land. Only two of us. Another man had the same confidence in God on a specific occasion. That was Paul. Paul was on a ship and he was about ready to, to sink. And he told the men on the boat, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me." God gave Caleb not only the land, but he gave him the victory. We go back to Joshua chapter 14. He says, Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord be with me, I shall be able to drive them out. He hasn't lost his cognitive ability. Even though he's 85, he is sharp. He knows. 40 years, he's thinking about it. I know where that city is. I know where this garrison is. I know where that tribe is. I know the height of the wall. I think I know how. Th I mean, he just, he had 40 years to just live expecting, expecting this day. That's a picture of the Christian who lives expecting the return of God, Christ. He is every day. He knows. He knows. And one day we're going to get, we're going to get the signal and I'm going to get the land. I'm going to have the land. God's going to fulfill the promise that he gave me. He knew he had the victory. So remember in the beginning, I said, as we look at the life of Caleb, I see this, I, I take it really, um, try to take it personal. The spiritual victory now, God, God may not have a piece of dirt for you and I to inherit or a piece of real estate. But for a moment, just think of Caleb. He's standing there. He sees the mountain. He's been on the mountain. He's walked it 40 years earlier. He knows the layout of the land. He knows the, he knows the battles that are going to take place. And he's not scared. He knows what God said. He knows he's promised the land. He's promised the victory. And so all he has to do 
is say, God, you said that I could have this. I'm just waiting for the green light. And it's his. Spiritually speaking, there we are. We're looking at the blessings of God. We're looking at our life out there somewhere in the future. And we know that if we're been saved by the blood of the lamb, Christ is in us. God lives in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And he's trying to conform us into the image of Christ. And, and there are in our land, as I'm looking at my life, I see, I see the mountain that I want to be on. But I also know there's, there's enemy in the territory and there, the battles have to be, have to be uh, engaged upon. Battles have to be won. So if I could just for a minute, you look at your life, I look at mine. What battles are there because God has promised his children a victorious life. Now, you're not going to be there if you're murmuring and complaining and discontent. You'll probably die that way. Okay, so I'm assuming that we're not in that camp. We're, we're in the camp of Caleb and Joshua. Y'all with me? So you, you're all in the camp. We're all there together. So we, we know that God's given us a promise. So how about that enemy of sorrow? You lost your joy? Do you feel like times are always difficult? How about the stronghold of fear? When something is unknown, it's like a force that freezes you and paralyzes you. How about the enemy of bitterness that pollutes your soul? How about strongholds that the enemy has erected in your land that are nothing but lies and deceit of Satan? Are you doubting? Do you have no assurance in uncertain times? Do you sense, do you experience temptation? You need victory over sinful desires. How about loneliness? Are you constantly needing comfort each time you find yourself alone? Are you overshadowed from the past of the mistakes of yesterday? Have you become apathetic? Uh, he's, he's got maybe a, a little garrison in your life where there's no passion anymore for the work of God. Are you discontent with life? Is there no joy? You're not happy with what you have. You're not happy with even who you are. Anger. Has wrath got you in its grips? Are you always furious? Do you have uprisings in your life? How about criticism? Are you stuck in the opinions of others? Or maybe you have a critical spirit and you're just critical of other people. What about the enemy of prayerlessness? You have no prayer closet. Maybe the giant of betrayal. Someone you love has done you very wrong. Insecurity. You lack the confidence when things are very unstable. Jealous. Are you desiring, are you not happy with the life God has given you and all you can think about is look at someone else and desire their life? How about guilt? You're constantly seeking relief from a shameful experience. Pride, you love being first. You love glorying self rather than glorying God. How about grief? It's difficult for you to get to that new normal after you have had an incredible loss. Are you worried? Can you not trust God and his promises? Maybe you're experiencing oppression and there's intense spiritual warfare. Or maybe you're not trusting in God's resurrection power and the, the mere thinking of death causes you to be afraid. That could be a picture of our land. God's promised victory, and that's just a short list of every area of life. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Hey, we have the hope of heaven, 
But God wants us to have an abundant life here. I'm getting to the end here, but I just want to remind you of some promises. And these are, this is hardly even scratching the surface. Just some scriptures. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God said, I know the thoughts I think toward you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doeth thee, that go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That's uh, something our academy learned this year, I think, or maybe it was last year. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear friend, if you and I can re remember these and Take it to the bank that God's going to do that. There's not an enemy on that list. There's not, a, there's not a stronghold that we read that God cannot conquer. You can't, but God can. And that's Caleb. Caleb knew. I'm 85 years old. I might get one good swing at somebody. I might get three. But the whole tribe, a whole garrison, a whole land full of the enemy, I can't. But God can because God promised the victory. Amen. Lastly, not only did he get the uh, promise of the land and the victory, but God promised him uh, an inheritance even in his own family. His children would benefit from his faithfulness. In fact, in verse 9, And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. Because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Hey, I don't know about you. You might be on a whole other map of life this day, in, this day in 2022 than maybe you were raised. You might be a first generation Christian. Uh, maybe you look back and say, man, I, I, I'm definitely not where my family tree was. Or maybe your children are on a whole other trajectory that would just even outshine yours or go even higher and greater than yours. 
Praise God. That's the way it ought to be. Caleb was going to give his his family not just the the land. Yes, they would get the real estate. They would get the mountain. And and it even encouraged his son-in-law and his daughter to ask for a great gift from their dad. And he was willing to give it to them. Caleb not only had a physical inheritance, but because of what God did through him, his family received a spiritual inheritance. God was glorified from, for generations. In fact, Judah was going to have that land forever. As I kind of close here and wrap this up, I want to be reminded that God used Caleb when he was 85 years old. He did not get stuck in a rut in his 40s, his 50s, his 60s, his 70s. He did not get stuck. He cultivated a relationship with God. He remembered God's promises. He lived with an expectation that one day I'm going to see it to fulfillment. He even said, God kept me alive. That tells me that, hey, that 40 years was not easy. Think of how easy it would have been to just throw in the towel and say, I can't believe, man, I'm around a million complainers. Or I'm tired of digging these graves. Or we got to go through the land of sin again? You know, because sometimes they would circle around. Okay? No. If God be for us, who can be against us? I just want you to know you're never too old to serve God. Uh, You're never too old for God to begin a new work in your life. And if you feel stuck, I'm going to tell you, get help. I'd encourage you, if you're married, if your spouse says, I ain't going, then, then, I don't know, talk to pastor and you go. You be the spouse that, that is the biblical one. Because I get it. I, I understand that sometimes, man, it's a great risk. You're thinking, we've been living this way and that way for so long, you get comfortable. That is the worst place to be. Is don't be content with where you are in your Christian life. Um, when Brother Humber was here, he said a powerful statement one day in Sunday school. He said, some people mistake the love and grace from their pastor as him being content with where they are in their Christian walk. Don't take, he's just being love and grace because that's what Christians are. But if pastor is urging us, urging you, hey, take a step. I think you ought to do this. I think you ought to go there. I think you ought to sign up for that. Do that. Get, there ought not be a price you wouldn't pay to get unstuck in your Christian life. Don't stay in the rut. Don't stay in the pit. We want to be like Caleb. We need more Caleb's. Hey, if somebody sent you and I a check for $5,000 today, think of what you could do with a $5,000 check. Pay some bills, get some, maybe, maybe you get your truck set up so you can go mudding. Maybe you, you tithe on it. You give it to Faith Promise Missions. But you know, if you took that check, as great of a gift that would be, and you stuck it in a picture frame and you put it somewhere where you could see it every day. And all you did was just, man, that's a great check. Sure. I, I'm so thankful that person thought of me and gave me that $5,000 check. If that's all you did, that would seem pretty silly. But some of us treat the promises of God that way. You got to take that check, turn it over, endorse it with your name. You go to the bank or the credit union or wherever you cash your check and you demand payment. Give me my money. I don't say we should approach God that way, 
But God's promises are like that check. You got to take it over. You got to endorse it. And you got to go to God and say, God, here's what you said. Your word does not return void. God, you promised. You promised that when we draw nigh to you, you'll draw nigh to us. You promised that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You promised that you're with us. You promised. You promised. You promised. God loves you. God wants to fill your arms with gifts because you're his child. Let's quit living like poor people, spiritually speaking. Now I'm closing. Caleb did not become apathetic. He did not become apathetic in his later years. He cultivated a life of expectation. So when God said it's time, Caleb was ready. If we don't follow Caleb's example, we'll become an apathetic old church. Caleb didn't feel old. He was ready to battle. But even more, he was ready to see God make good on what he had promised Caleb. We need more people like Caleb today. Thank you. Let's stand as we come to our invitation time. I'm not sure how God spoke to your heart through this message. I pray that it was a challenge to you to not be content with where we are in our Christian walk. I hope I've done a good job just explaining Caleb's life. But dear friend, let's not settle for less than what God would want for us. I know there's enemies in our lives that need conquering, strongholds that need defeating. We all have them. God's ready. God's ready to fulfill the promises He's given us in His Word. Let's pray as the music plays.